Hello, hello, and welcome once again to Solid Grounds Online Campus. I would like to say a special hello to anyone who is watching for the first time. Every week we get together like this and we go through the scriptures. And we not just we not just me talking to you, but my hope is that we are thinking about these things for the rest of the week and that, that we're processing these ideas and asking these questions with, with people around us. Because if we read through the scriptures, it can seem so far removed from our everyday life. And we, we, come, we're, we're, we get just a couple chapters in to the scriptures and we read about things like boats filled with two of every kind of animal on the earth and giant floods. We read about Abram and Sarai having uh, a baby in their old age and, and the seas parted. We read about the sun standing still and, and all, all the way through. And, and then there's, there's this thing about uh, someone who uh, came back from the dead and never died again. It seems like there's a lot of things in here that are so difficult to understand. And when I come across these things, even as a pastor, and I've spent my life orienting my life around these stories, I still at this point hear the voice of the great Vicini from The Princess Bride saying, Inconceivable! Inconceivable. I love that. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. So, as we get ready for Easter, it's in a few weeks, I think of this word, inconceivable. And just to give you a few synonyms, for, for the word inconceivable, to set the stage. Inconceivable is similar to unthinkable, unimaginable, unbelievable, incredible, implausible, ludicrous, mind-blowing, and mind-boggling. So not just these miracles are often inconceivable to us. These words describe God for us. How do you describe a being that isn't limited by space and time? Maybe, just maybe, the closest we get is, is to quantum physics, as you Marvel fans will know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe of quantum entanglement, and there's no, uh, no distance between particles. I read a little bit, I don't understand it, because it's inconceivable, and as I'm so grateful for scientists, and if you are a scientist, you're into that, keep learning, we need you. But for the rest of us, there's something that helps us know what God is like. Jesus was sent to this world so we can know what the inconceivable God is like. The Apostle Paul writes in the letter of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15, he's talking about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Another way to, to communicate the heart of that thought comes from our friend Brian Zond. He says, God is like Jesus, and Jesus is like God. And over the past four or five years, since I first read that statement, I'm thinking, I love how simple it is. If you want to know what God is like, Look at Jesus. 
but it's also complex at the same time because you can say, oh yeah, I know that, Mike. I, I went to Sunday school once. Oh yeah, this is refresher. This is, this is Jesus stuff. Yes, yes, Jesus is the warm and cuddly version and God the Father is the one that we're all scared of. And then we can get back to living our life like it's all up to us. I'm gonna go back to solving my own problems. I'm gonna go back to providing for myself with my own, with my own skills and my own, my own intelligence and, and just good old fashioned grit and hustle. And I'm gonna get back to fighting for what's mine because that Jesus stuff is nice in, the, in, in one realm, but it doesn't really interact with my normal everyday to day life. And if we're not careful, that's an easy way to go and I'm going to be honest with you, I am, I'm, I'm not where I was with that issue. I'm 10 miles down the road, but I'm still 10 feet from the ditch. If I'm not careful, I wind up doing things like it all depends on me. But that's not the way God set all of this up. That's not the heart of God for, for how your life is to function. Jesus is like God and God is like Jesus. And Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God viewpoint. Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God perspective. And it's a much different paradigm, perspective, way of looking at life than the way you and I naturally look at things. Jesus taught that all things are possible when it's not left up to you and me. That is really good news. Everything is possible as long as you release the outcomes of everything up to God. And for the next few weeks, I want to invite you to reflect on how Jesus does the inconceivable and irresistible. As we get ready for Easter season, I want to challenge you to think about how this can be lived out in our time in 2024 in your office in your neighborhood if you want to talk about this I have a, a, a friend he's my brother-in-law you talk to Guillaume and he's he's in a he's in a tender here at our in-person campus about 17 18 years ago maybe he's leading this Bible study of teenagers uh, where he near where he grew up in Europe and they started asking questions about the text. They would read about apostles laying hands on people and they were, and, and that were sick, and the sick were, were healed. And they would read scriptures uh, saying that, that we, as Jesus followers, would do things even greater than Jesus did. And, and these teenagers in post-Christian, post-modern Europe started saying, well, if this is true, why aren't we seeing more of this in our lives? And so they went on this journey of more than a decade of saying like, okay, God, lead us. Is it true that we can pray for people and they will be healed? Is it true that we can pray for depression and it will be lifted? Is it true that we can see change in our neighborhoods and in people's lives? And story after story of life change, story after story of seeing Jesus come through has convinced them that this stuff is real. And so I want to take a look with you today at a story, maybe a refresher for some of you, the story of Lazarus and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And it's found in John chapter 11. And we'll start out in verse one. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. 
This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Okay. Inconceivable. Remember that. What is going He loves this guy. He knows he's sick, but he's delaying the trip. So a couple things for us to notice just in this first part of the story. Mark out the relational language here. He knew them deeply. Them, when these sisters came to Lazarus and they said, the one you love is sick. I mean, he loved these people. And when they said, the one you love is sick, Jesus knew who that was. I think it's interesting also, this is written by John, who also called himself the one Jesus loved, the apostle or the, the disciple Jesus loved. So it's very, very relational. He loved these people and was involved in their lives. But my goodness, he waits two more days before going over to, to where Lazarus lived, foreshadowing Jesus's own death and resurrection. And this whole two-day extra time period, that can really mess with us. But this thing, let's dig in here. Let's, let's sit here for just a second. This two-more-day waiting period was rooted in Jesus's trust in God. He said, this this is for, for God's glory and that the, that the Son of God will receive glory. God, God was trustworthy according to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to wait two more days because I trust God for the best for Lazarus and I trust God for the best for me. We'll pick up in verse 8. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now, especially, remember, the, the book of John uses a lot of motifs of light and dark and comparing Jesus to the light that pierces through the darkness. Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 I know. These people are going to stone me. They were going to stone me, but, but you're with me. You're with me. But their eyes couldn't see it yet. A few weeks ago, I went hiking in my favorite spot in Ice House Canyon, close to Rancho Cucamonga. And I know this trail better. I don't really know the back of my hand that well because I don't really spend a lot of time staring at it. I could tell you more about this trail in Ice House Canyon than I could the back of my hand. The only problem was, it was the Friday right after we switched the clocks back an hour. And I said, I'm going for a hike. And I did a quick calculation in my head and miscalculated by an hour. 
So I thought I had an extra hour of daylight, but I really had an hour less of daylight. And I, I was about two miles away from the parking lot, walking through this trail in complete and utter darkness, going with every step. This is going to make a great sermon illustration someday. But for right now, I am scared out of my mind. I heard sounds of giant creatures that my imagination filled into the gap. I knew I was being followed by at least three bears, four mountain lions, and a couple of bighorn sheep. I just knew it. I could picture them in my head. And the only light I had, because I'm, I'm a through hiker, I, I, I pack light. The only light I had was this Fitbit. Not a very bright light. What a difference. I, I really lived out the psalm that says, uh, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And sometimes walking through this existence feels like walking through a dark trail, except we don't know the trail like the back of our hands. But what Jesus is saying and what the scriptures say is that Jesus is the light and he's faithful to show you the next step the next right thing, the next decision. And oh my goodness, I wish Jesus told us about the next 10 years, the next 10 steps or the next three decades. But that's not the image of, of how, of our posture. And Jesus is saying, hey, we've got 12 hours of daylight. And, he, and Jesus was saying, I'm here right now. So as long as you're with me, you're not going to stumble. Stay close to me. Walking with Jesus is where we find our purpose. Walking with Jesus is, is as close as we can get to knowing God's plan, because Jesus is the plan. And, and in this moment, Jesus is coaching. He's coaching their disciples. He knows they're afraid. He knows they heard the, the, the folks in the village where Lazarus lives, that people were going to stone him. But with Jesus, it's always daytime. And these disciples were about to have their mind blown in the next few weeks after this event as Jesus sets out resolutely towards Jerusalem, towards his cross journey. So he's, he's trying to coach them in the moment, stay close to me. And after he said this in verse 11, and after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So be careful now. When we read this, it is so easy to think, the disciples, they were just so dumb. They didn't get it. I came across this in my research for today's teaching. C.S. Lewis, Lewis called this, uh, chronological snobbery. To th to hindsight's 2020 is the, the common way to say it. We can look back and say, why didn't they get it? But they were continually learning more and more about who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. It's not just a great teacher, not just a healer. This is God incarnate. And Jesus is continually coaching them. And Jesus is continually encouraging them to, to look at life through God's perspective. So let's continue with John chapter 11, verse 14. So then he told them plainly, 
Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. This guy over the years has become one of my favorite disciples. And they're all amazing. But Thomas is, is known generally as the skeptic. The thing for hundreds of years has been, oh, doubting Thomas. But the, his words jumped out at me this time because he's so close to seeing things the way that Jesus is trying to get people to see stuff. Thomas, if I were to put words in his mouth, is saying, oh, okay, so Jesus wants to head into danger? I'm going to go with him. Yeah, yeah, people back there wanted to stone him, but all right, I'll just go and die. So close, Thomas. He, was, he had the, the, the die part, right? Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me. But Thomas almost had the posture of, all right, I'm, I'm going to go down swinging. He hadn't yet understand, understood the suffering servant part. He hadn't yet understood the, the, the part where Jesus is, is uh, laying down his life. The great, greater love hath no man than this part of Jesus's mission. Those dots hadn't connected yet. But here, Thomas is so close. He's like, okay, Jesus, I'm saying you're walking in the light. All right, all right, I remember that Psalm 23, yeah, about the good shepherd and walking through the valley of the shadow of death. All right, let's do it. But Jesus here is talking about something so much bigger. And so they, they went to Bethany. In verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So let's back up a little bit. Less than two miles. I know most of us here are, are in, a, in a position to where we have transportation, uh, we, public transportation, or a lot of us have a car. We don't think about going two miles anymore. We could... Some of us, may I be so bold, could even walk that. Jesus was only two miles away. So imagine Martha coming out to meet him. We can hear the frustration in her voice. And then she says this line, if only you had been here. How many of us here today have had an if only you had been here moment with Jesus? Jesus, if only you had been here, you could have done something. Jesus, where are you right now? If only you were here, I wouldn't be so lonely. If only you were here, this wouldn't hurt so bad. Jesus, if only you were here, I would be healed. But what if Jesus is with you? If God is like Jesus, and Jesus is like God. What if in the middle of your if only you were here moment, 
you hear God saying, like the father said to the prodigal son, I've always been with you and everything I have is yours. What if God is already walking you through it? I really wish God would walk us around it and over it. If you are around here uh, a lot, you've heard me say it and sorry, you're going to you're going to hear me say it again. God walks us through it. What if our eyes are opened to the, the kingdom of God. And what if God is already there? I'm praying for you right now, even in my heart, that God opens your eyes and opens your heart to the reality of God's presence that's already around you. And Jesus doesn't leave her there. He doesn't just leave her in that moment. Jesus engages in this conversation. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And now what Jesus is doing here is profound. So if, if we've only seen the Sunday school version here, this is an easy part to skip over. So they all believed in this resurrection, or not all Jews, but a lot of Jews, and especially ones that, that would have been open to Jesus' teaching, would have believed in a resurrection day for everybody at the end of time. But what Jesus is doing here, instead of, of looking at this past and past the, of Lazarus is dead and he's been in the tomb for four days, instead of dreaming about what might have been, Jesus pivots and thinks about now and, and wants to pull the future into now. He's saying he, he will rise again. And she, th sorry if I'm bending your brain. Martha thinks that he's talking about a future event and Jesus is talking about he's going he's gonna to be alive again, like in a couple minutes. Jesus is dragging the future into the present and this idea that, that Martha's quoting, Isaiah 65, that, that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth is her way of saying, yeah, 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 I know about that, but you're not super comforting right now, Jesus. And then he says this truly odd thing if we're, if we're bold enough to pay attention. In verse 25, Jesus said, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is asking something deeper than, okay, this resurrection day at the end of human history. Do you believe that you can have life in this moment that goes beyond this life? And in verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. And this is her code for her saying, yes, I think I know who you are, but I'm not sure what else you're talking about. And here it is. This is what we're talking about. This, this kingdom of God perspective, this God way of seeing things. Jesus wants her to say, I trust in you, Jesus. Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This resurrection isn't just an idea. That it's not just an ideology. Resurrection isn't merely a doctrine. It's all those things, 
but it's so much bigger. The resurrection is a person. After she said this, she went back and called her sister, Mary, aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, my Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? There it is again. Did you catch all of that? If only, if only, if only. There's a lot of if onlys going on. In this moment, you can almost see the, the divinity of Jesus overlapping with his humanness. There's, there's grief there's questions, there's, there's pain, raw pain, everyone's crying, and everyone's thinking the same thing. If only this guy had been here, we wouldn't be in this situation. And Jesus, when he weeps, it says Jesus wept, shortest verse in the scriptures, he isn't merely caught up in emotion, like happens to you. Why, why do I have a lump in my throat? Why? No. Jesus is entering into the suffering with everyone in that scene. If you have ever asked why God wasn't there, if you have ever said in any form, if only you had been here, God, I wouldn't have this pain. If only you had been here, God, I wouldn't be in this situation. This text is showing us what Jesus's posture is towards you. He's engaging, he's right there with you. Jesus weeping with you. And in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there for four days. One translation of this, says he stinketh. So for those of you with kids, it's, it's scriptural. I mean, that phrase, you can say, you stinketh, go take a bath. But remember, in this moment, Jesus is like God and God is like Jesus. There is a four day old carcass. It's, not, it's been in the tomb for four days and it's been sealed up with a stone, fermenting. I mean, airtight. And what stands out to me is how Jesus moves towards that stink. Imagine that, the air getting sucked into the tomb and, and the stench coming out. Jesus moves towards the mess. The normal human reaction is, ooh, that's messy. I don't want to get near there. Have you ever talk to someone and, and they're telling you their problems and you, you, you have to make a decision like 
there's this point where I'm gonna have to roll up my sleeves because this is, this is going to get messy. This is what Jesus does. He moves towards the brokenness. And what great news is that for those of us who think we have to get our act together before we will be worthy of God's love. Nope, 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 nope. Jesus is already moving towards the sin and the messes in our life, the the hurts that we have. Jesus is moving towards this. So as we think about how God does inconceivable things in our life, like Bringing Lazarus back from the dead. Jesus goes on in this passage. You can read the rest of it. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man walks out of the tomb. And Jesus says, take off his grave clothes. Now, it's important to mention, it's important to note that Lazarus wasn't resurrected. He was resuscitated. He was brought back from death. Make no mistake about it. People saw it. It was recorded. There were eyewitnesses. But maybe a few years later, maybe a decade or a few decades later, Lazarus died again. Jesus is the only one who's been resurrected and Jesus is still alive. So if God is like Jesus and Jesus is like God and Jesus moves towards the mess and God moves towards the mess and is able to resurrect the dead and bring the dead back from life, three thoughts for us. Don't miss this first one. Number one, Jesus is with us in our suffering. Even though you and I want desperately to find a way out of suffering. That's where Jesus is and he will bring you through it. Number two, I love this one. This one's good news. Jesus emphasizes our future, not our past. He's not going to bring it up. He's not going to dig our past out and bring it up and rub our nose in it. The scriptures say that we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. We've, We've died to sin. And Jesus never brings it and said, remember what you did freshman year of college? Remember what you did on spring break? Remember that thing you said two decades ago? Jesus emphasizes our future, not our past. So you and I, when we have a tendency to go back up and beat ourselves up for things we woulda, coulda, shoulda done, if we're really Jesus followers, we need to emphasize the things that Jesus emphasizes. And sure, we make amends for the past, but we don't stay there. We want to stay and emphasize what Jesus, we're going to live with Jesus forever someday. And so yes, he emphasizes our future. That's point two. Number three is he brings the future into our present. Because of Jesus's resurrection, he makes all of this possible. And that's what we are celebrating in this season. Until Easter Sunday, I am so excited that we serve a God that brings the dead back to life, that even death couldn't defeat Jesus. That has good news, good implications for your family, for your personal life, for this world, this country that we live in. Jesus still has the whole world in his hands. I love this, John chapter 14. He writes a few chapters later, and he's quoting Jesus here. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, 
Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So as we try to wrap our mind around Jesus doing the inconceivable, Lazarus coming back to life, and by the way, taking his time to do it, what if we acted like all of this is true? What situation in your life is dead? What situation have you given up on? Is it your health? Is it a relationship? Is it a habit you haven't been able to kick? It's gonna be different for all of us and we all have something in the tomb. We all have something that's just stinky. What if we acted like Jesus is actually moving towards that? Why would we try to hide it? When Jesus is saying, this thing, it's rotting. Let's bring life from death. Let's, let's make you whole again. Whatever that is for you, this Jesus that we're following is inviting you to surrender that to him right now in this moment. So if you can, I wanna invite you to, to picture that and, and just offer it up to Jesus. Use your body to, to tell your heart and your mind what you're doing or, or turn your hands over and say, Jesus, take that thought, take that relationship, take that guilt, take that shame, just do it. But also join your heart to this prayer because I wanna pray for you because Jesus doesn't want you carrying around all of that. You weren't meant for that load. Jesus wants to give you so much more. So dear Heavenly Father, will you replace our old way of looking at things, looking at life with your way? And God, we place our trust that you are still at work and that, that we can still see miracles in our lives. So God, we give you the, our worries, our cares, our burdens, and I pray for everyone who can hear my voice. I lift them up to you in this moment and ask that you will comfort them and that you will drag their future into the present, a good future, a future of hope, a future of, of them prospering and, and your plans that aren't to harm them, but to do good for them and to, to walk with them. I pray that you would fill us all with your joy as we surrender all the stuff that's weighing us down. May it be true that, that you give us life and life to the full. We, we open our hearts to that. Please fill us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna continue this next week. So I can't wait to see you again. And in between our online gatherings, if you have questions about this, if you have, if you need, uh, if you have a prayer request, you can always connect with us at sgbic.com or you can leave a comment below, but we don't want you doing this alone. And if you live within driving distance of, of Solid Ground Church, come and visit us. We're here all the time, but on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., we would love to worship with you in person. And, uh, and if you're not, uh, if you're not within driving distance and you need help finding a local congregation, we're always gonna be here for you, but if you need help finding a local congregation, reach out to us and we can help you find that because we want that for you. And, uh, and we want to join you in connecting you with uh, 
Jesus-loving, Jesus-centered, scripture-believing folks that can encourage you in your journey. So until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.